Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. episode 27. This is the last episode of the year for Medium Lady Talks. It's uh, currently the very end of 2021 and this episode today is going to focus on the reviews of the fall and early winter books that I read um, at the end of this year. Um, If you're interested in previous episodes about books, you don't have to go too far. My very first episode, which launched in March of this year, was all about books. And uh, many of the episodes following that, I believe it's episode eight, Uh, I want to say 15, I probably should have come a little bit more prepared for that. But if you want other book review episodes, I'll be sure to link them in the show notes. I do want to say, you know, a little bit about where we're at at the end of this year, 2021. And I personally am really looking forward to an opportunity to look back on everything the year has brought about and also to kind of release everything that the year has brought about as well. There's no doubt a kind of heavy sense of all of the work that has taken place in the year, whether it's work on myself, work on my family, work at work, (laughs) creative work, you name it. But there's one thing for sure that I am very grateful for, and that has been that my year of 2021 has been full of many, many, many books. And it's been really fun to take the full year to actually take stock of what I've read. I've never done that before. I'm not an avid Goodreads user. I don't keep a tally or a journal of the books that I've read up until now. And the podcast has become a really great opportunity to think about what I like, think about what I don't like, and, um, and you know, learn more about myself and the boundaries of where I like to exist in my happy place of reading. Um, If you are uh, enjoying what you've heard on the podcast this year, I really hope you will subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would do me one really amazing favor before the end of the year to please hop into your podcast device, your podcast player, and give uh, the podcast a review and a rating, especially if you love the podcast and want to give it five stars. Of course, uh, our first year of growth here has been a lot of experimentation, a lot of patience and self-compassion and willingness to just do the thing and not be too perfect or precious about it. But of course, next year, we'll be really hoping to gain an even uh, stronger sense of confidence around the content that um, I really thrive within as a creator and the content that you want to hear as listeners and hopefully we're experiencing a match made in heaven. The other thing I will say as well is that this will be the last episode of the year and then I will probably be taking the month of January off at least a couple of weeks to both be present to my family and present to uh, the evolving context of the pandemic and to um, also be present at work Um, and then to kind of do a mindful planning of the 2022 season of the podcast. I hope to have more guests on. I hope to have more conversations, more interviews, and more reviews, more books in the future. So um, I need a bit of time in order to do that with a thoughtful 
presence and in order to kind of lay the best plans that sort of unravel themselves and don't really require me to muscle my way through, you know, the always lack of time or the, the time anxiety, as uh, my, my podcast idol, Lara Tremaine, would call it, to muscle through that time anxiety that there's never enough time to come up with ideas or to record or to edit. And I think that if I take the month of January and plan purposefully um, the upcoming year of ideas and guests, that um, it will be my little security blanket for when I have that time anxiety. With that being said, if you have any ideas for the 2022 Medium Lady Talk season, I would love to hear them. Listeners have given us amazing suggestions. Listeners have been on the podcast as well. So if you want to hop on this podcast, please feel free to connect with me on Instagram. I can be found at medium.lady over there. Go ahead and give me a follow for all kinds of things, not just the podcast. Lots of writing and thoughts and humor and entertainment. Lots of slivers of my own personal life along the way. With all that aside, I think what we'll do is we'll just kind of jump into the books. I have a lot of books to review, and I think that's because... The last book-related episode happened before I moved to a bi-weekly schedule. That happened around September of this year. And so I've been really trucking along with a number of really great episodes, a lot of great interviews, a lot of great conversations, and that has kind of deferred my opportunity to sort of dive into what I've been reading lately. The fall-winter books, I have 17 books here. I have 13 books in the fiction category, three books in the nonfiction category, and one book in the personal development category. And I'm going to review them as always. If you've never heard any of my book review podcasts before, I kind of try to fall within three categories. The first being uh, probably pass, meaning I read this book. I didn't really love it. I would say you could probably pass. The books that lie in the middle, which are called the Know Yourself book. And this is uh, where I kind of deconstruct a little bit of my own reading life. I deconstruct a bit of what I love to read. And I think about the book that I'm reviewing in the context of that criteria. And then I recommend that you do the same. You know yourself. You have to know yourself to choose whether or not you would read a book that I'm reviewing in that category. And most books fall sort of in the middle. And then I have my uh, must-reads. I call them medium lady must-reads or the sort of the top books, the real creme de la creme that I think are really worth reading either for an entertainment factor, for a content factor, for a subject matter, for a uh, cultural relevance factor. This is all my opinion. And of course, I think no matter what's on the list, you have to know yourself. And there are probably some books on this list where I read them, but I maybe deviated a little from what I know about myself. And if I had thought about that a little bit more thoroughly, I may have actually not ended up reading these books at all. Um, I do not ever cover books that I haven't read. So, or finished, rather. So if I abandoned a book, um, you can guarantee that uh, I, I, it's not on this list. There's there's no book on this list that I, that I didn't finish in its entirety. Okay, with that being said, I think we've uh, teased this out long enough. I'm going to start with the books that I would recommend you probably pass on. The first is a book that I read really recently, and this is called The Secret Book and Scone Society. The Secret Book and Scone Society takes place in a fictional place called Miracle Springs, and it opens with a woman meeting a man on a park bench, and he's kind of low and he's obviously struggling with something but he doesn't disclose to her what he's struggling with and the character Nora the main character invites him to meet her at the bookshop but before um, he meets her at the bookshop she recommends that he go and have a scone made for him at her friend Hester's uh, scone shop 
And you sort of get the sense that she's about to sort of enact a bit of therapy magic on him through both the scone and the book. And so it starts off with a really brilliant hook and it gets you really curious about both, you know, delicious scones and the ways in which books can be healing. Unfortunately, the man is murdered and Nora never gets a chance to work her therapy on him and to understand what's really troubling him. And what unfolds from there is a sort of, I guess, murder she wrote-esque mystery where Nora and Hester and two other women in the town find themselves thrown together and they feel very compelled to solve this mystery. Now, this is apparently the first in a series, and I will probably read the other books. There was something really great about these books, both from the description of Nora's bookstore, the ways in which Nora suggests books for people. I think there's at least 50 real life books that are recommended in this other book, and there's sort of lots of bibliophile Easter eggs. If you are a book lover, um, and, and I'm going to hazard a guess that if you're listening to this podcast, you, you like, at least like books, <laughs> you're probably going to really like the first half of this book. Unfortunately for me, the second half of the book kind of unraveled itself. It didn't maintain that tight, knit, cozy, fast-paced, you know, sort of series of events. Yeah, and I have to think for a little bit that that's because the author, Ellery Adams, is doing a lot of character introduction. We learn about the four women over probably the first three quarters, if not most of the book. And so because she's balancing plot with character development, there's a series of sort of stop and starts. You kind of feel like you're on a bus that's hitting a lot of stops, but you don't get the satisfaction of making it to an end destination. And for that reason, I found the book really frustrating to read. My other serious complaint about this book and why it's a probably pass is it makes the, the mystery itself is quite boring. Like it's it has to do with like mortgage fraud. And I just like, maybe I just don't know enough about mortgages, but it was sort of like, they're like snooping around the bank and snooping around the model homes. And I'm like, I just am not really invested in this crime. Um, you know, it, star- <laughs> it starts off, you know, really kind of weaving an interesting path. And then, and then in the end, uh, unfortunately, it becomes both a tale of sort of misogynistic men enacting their anger out on women which is a really kind of, you really don't see that coming when you're talking about mortgage fraud. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, It's this sort of disenfranchised, you know, disillusioned men uh, enacting their hate on women. And then the women also get rescued by a handful of men who choose to do the right thing. So I just found that really like left a a bitter taste in my mouth, which is the storyline of these women who are trying to get people to see that there's something wrong happening and in the end they get rescued finally they get rescued by the men who were ignoring them the whole time but also uh they get put in danger by men who just hate women i just like i don't know and then all on top of mortgage fraud i was just sort of um really wrapped up in the title the secret comma book and scone society so there's three things there it's not the secret book and scone society it's the secret comma book comma and scone society by ellery adams i would just recommend you probably pass although i'm gonna put an asterisk beside that because i uh i'm probably gonna read another one i'm just really curious to see if now that the characters have been developed if the author can kind of get out of her way in that in that sense um 
because there was just enough magic, just enough magic there. The book Lover and Me really enjoyed the setting of Miracle Springs. And um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if we can get a more satisfying mystery out of Ellery Adams. Then I, I think this really could like could have I think I had high hopes for it. Maybe that's that's where I'm going with that. Okay, the second book uh, that I'm going to tell you to probably pass on is called Yearbook by Seth Rogen. And I'm going to say I really hope my best friend Emily is not listening um, because I read this book not on her recommendation, but on her rave reviews. So um, obviously Seth Rogen is an actor and he um, has written a memoir. It's a collection of true stories that he has written in ways that are very funny. Um, and, you know, he talks about doing stand-up. He talks about his grandparents. He talks about becoming famous and sort of starting projects in L.A. He talks about his wife. He talks about his parents. He talks a lot about doing drugs. I think that you're going to pick this book up because you're kind of curious about who Seth Rogen is. And I'm going to tell you that he's exactly who you think he is and the audiobook is exactly what you think it will be. Seth Rogen really likes drugs and he's very funny and that's kind of all that's in the book. I didn't, I listened to it by audiobook. The audiobook is a production. There's probably hundreds of real live voices on the audiobook, including his parents and his wife. They actually record their own voices. It never really made me laugh out loud. There's a lot of things about it that are very predictable in terms of fame, in terms of drugs, predictable things in terms of coming of age. You would think that with Seth Rogen being the character that he is, that his point of view would offer something unexpected. And in all honesty, it really doesn't. I think I like Seth Rogen, and so I expected to like the book. But I think I probably didn't really think about you know, what I really like about Seth Rogen. And that's probably not like the content that he creates as an artist. And so I should have considered that in terms of like, I am A, not his target demographic and B, not like a lover of any of his movies really outside of, you know, Superbad or um, Knocked Up. And, and, and I think we can all agree that that's like not core Seth Rogen content. So if you consider the book yearbook as another core Seth Rogen content, then I really didn't like it. The audiobook, as I said, is pretty spectacular. Um, and the the very end of the book, <laughs> you know, book reviews are complicated. The very end of the book actually took me off guard. That was what I wanted the whole book to be. The, the very last story in the book is quite amazing. And I think that the way he tells it as well is the kind of thing that I expected the whole book to be. But I did sort of feel a little bit duped uh, or, or sort of like I kept listening to the book waiting for something that wasn't ever going to be. And sort of I, I, I don't know if I expected more, um, but I should have acknowledged that I'm probably not just the Seth Rogen fan that I thought I was. You know, it's just the guy smokes a lot of drugs. Sometimes he's a total idiot. A lot of the jokes are hit or miss. You know, sometimes it's a real the book is a real slog. And and also like there's a lot of <laughs> listen, it's called your book. So you go back in time. There's a lot of like stories about teenagers in high school and, you know, sexual awakening from the, the point of view of a, of a young Seth Rogen. And I'm kind of like didn't need to know, <laughs> you know, I was kind of like, I don't know. It just did not entertain me the way I'm sure it had to entertain many, many people. 
Okay, so with that being said, we're going to do one of my favorite things here, which is to flip the script on the reviews. I'm here on the Goodreads page for Yearbook by Seth Rogen, and I'm going to read a, the, one of the five-star reviews of it. I think that... Um, I think that uh, this always makes me laugh because, you know, this is sort of where I start to defend my point of view. Listen, this book, people love this book. Uh, 41% of readers, that's 11,000 people, have given it five stars. Only 304 people gave it one star. So here, we're going to read a five-star review. And um, I also believe that, my, listen, my opinion is not the only opinion out there. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you think, I didn't like something, it really, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't read it. Um, but... I, I guess I'm going to still tell you, I, I think you don't need to read it. Okay. So here is uh, someone named Regina and Regina um, gave it five stars. She calls it a choose your own adventure review of Seth Rogen's 2021 humorous memoir yearbook. Do you like Seth Rogen? If the answer is heck no, proceed to point one. If the answer is heck yes, jump on down to point two. <laughs> so if you go to point one, she says one, you will hate this book. No need to read further. So I, I do like Seth Rogen. I guess I should go to number two. She says, congratulations, a hilarious reading experience awaits. Your guy Seth has written a collection of anecdotes that 100% succeeds in being what his fans would want it to be. Self-deprecating humor. That is true. He's He is extremely self-deprecating. High on life and various other things stories. Yes, I, I would say actually, and maybe this is a, a, a really a good point for me, is that... Um, I'm not a recreational drug user, and I think the humor associated with recreational drug use is lost on me. Um, there are a lot of stories that are just about finding drugs and getting high, and I kind of was sort of, it just didn't feel like a plot to me or a story. Like, there was no before and after, you know? If you're like, before the thing happened, then the thing happened. It was like, I guess it's like we didn't have drugs and we weren't high and then we found drugs and we were high again and I don't, I don't know I don't know okay let's go back to Regina's review uh refreshingly honest no f's given tales about encounters with other celebrities like Tom Cruise and Nicolas Cage you betcha that is true there's a couple of stories about Tom Cruise and Nicolas Cage um closer to the end of the book now are you adverse to audiobooks proceed to point a if you love them jump to point b this is a really great review i'm really i really enjoy how she's written this um a check out some other reviews i didn't read the print copy of the book um b you win again the yearbook audio experience is unlike any other I, I think actually that's true i've never heard an audiobook with so many unique voices not only that but there are some voices that are characters but they, not characters, they're real life people in his memoir vignettes and the, but the, but they're voiced by a famous person. And then sometimes the real famous people come on and they, they do themselves. People like Nick Kroll, Jason Siegel, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, um, Billy Crystal, I think at one point, Snoop Dogg is in there. Um, and then I also like really appreciate the context for his parents and his sister and his wife to also play themselves. Um, so yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, that's a very mixed probably pass. I, I feel like I've maybe sold it actually a little more than I intended to. I, I just didn't really like it when it all came down to it. I could appreciate the context for the audiobook. I could appreciate that it was about Seth Rogen and it delivered 100% on Seth Rogen. The actual experience of reading the book by audio was really not entertaining or enjoyable or cozy or satisfying or enlightening for me. And that's kind of what I look for in my reading life. So I'm going to call your book by Seth Rogen a probably pass.
Okay, that was a lot of airtime. And I always feel like the first part of the book review podcasts are um, pretty heavy on describing why I didn't like a book. We're going to head into the middle of the pack here and and talk about a handful of books, mostly novels, um, that uh, I read uh, this fall and winter of 2021. The first book is called The Birch Bark House by Louise Erdrich. This is an older book. It was published in 2002. It's the story of a young Ojibwa girl named Omakayas, and she lives on a remote island in Lake Superior, sort of before the founding of Canada, actually. It's it's set in the sort of early to mid um 1900, 1847 is the year um, in the Amazon summary. And so it's actually a very interesting reverse perspective on Native American life in that it's told from the perspective of this Native American girl and the perspective of being settled or the perspective of seen as being seen as, you know, the 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 person who's not dangerous and not a curiosity, not odd and unusual. Um, you sort of get this inside story. It's called the Birchbark House. It gives a very little house on the prairie vibe from the from the jump. And the age of the girl, I think, is very similar to the Laura Ingalls character in the Little House books. Now, granted, it's been quite a long time since I read those Little House books, but this book is set at a reading age of 8 to 12. I think it's probably closer to 12. The first part of the book starts out a little bit spooky in a great way, and and the rest of the book reads through the series of 12 months. 12 months of Omakayas's life. Um, there are some really sad parts of the book and there are some really lovely and happy parts of the book. There's also a well-written introduction to the sense of spirituality from connection to the elements um, and how early on children are really raised to be embedded in that spiritual connection that is really a, a, an amazing part of Indigenous culture. I think that I'm surprised these books don't get more airtime. There's quite a lot of them and I haven't had a chance to uh, read another one since reading this first one. Louise Erdrich is actually a very prolific American novelist. I think she's of mixed heritage. She's um, German and then her mother is French and Ojibwa. She's authored many novels and, and won many awards and I think that it's very interesting to consider this book and this series in the context that we're kind of living in right now, which is learning more, I myself as a non-Indigenous person, about the ways in which I have been implicit and complicit in the um, suppression of Indigenous lives and the systems that oppress them and, and erase their culture. Um, and so a book like this, I think, from the perspective of a child, but just so beautifully written, um, is really worth a read. It's really worth, you know, picking up and, and checking out. I think it has a historical element to it, really compelling characters, really compelling family narrative. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. I'm actually like, I'm thinking I probably should have um, put this up higher on my um, recommended reads. That's The Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich. Another book that I read by Louise Erdrich was The uh, Night Watchman. Now this is an adult novel and this is based on Louise Erdrich's grandfather who worked as a night watchman um, and uh, helped the fight against native uh, dispossession from rural South Dakota. He, in the 50s, the book takes place in the 50s and it explores his experience 
acting politically in order to fight an emancipation bill that's uh, going to be presented on the floor of the U.S. Congress. So there are several characters here. The first character is Thomas Wasashk, and that's the character um, based off of Louise's grandfather. He works at a night watchman at a jewel-bearing plant in the Turtle Mountain Reservation in North Dakota. He's also Chippewa Council member. And he's the one who reads the beginning of the bill and understands the context for uh, the Emancipation Bill, which is really not about freedom and is a way of, of terminating the rights of, of Indigenous Americans, as well as their sort of their their access to land and their identity. And then parallel to that is a younger character called Pixie Parento. Um, her sister has disappeared, and so she takes off on a pursuit to sort of find her sister, and sort of her coming of age somewhat occurs as she pursues the opportunity to find her older sister, Vera. And so Thomas and Patrice both live in the, they live in the Turtle Mountain Reservation and they, they know each other sort of, but their conversations and the ways that they interact with different characters on the reservation unfold uh, in parallel. And I think this fictional world is really just populated with amazing characters. They grapple with, you know, tremendous inner turmoil, joy, you know, there's a lot of love in the book. I think that um, it was really great character development. I really felt like the characters are the most compelling part of this book. However, there was a couple of moments of the book where it um, gets a little bit bogged down, I think, in the context of the way that Louise explains or, or narrates the, the ways in which the characters work together. I think got a little bit bogged down when there are there's a variety of sort of political actions and I think I kind of got a little bit muddled up especially when all of the characters come together because the relationships between the characters are very clear but there are many characters and so when you gather more of them together as a as a reader unfortunately I did sort of start to have to stay really alert to who was who. I think that that was a little bit where I felt like the book was a little bit uneven. And, and when the characters came together in really dynamic scenes, there were some times when it was a little bit jarring. I do think that Louise Erdrich is an amazing writer, and I would really look forward to reading more of her books in the future. That's The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich. Okay, another Know Yourself. I've got a handful of Know Yourself books that I'm going to call contemporary rom-com books. <laughs> Uh, these are a handful of books, and I don't know why. I think for some reason, this the end of the summer really had me tipped into a real romance novel phase. And I have tried a lot of different authors in the romance or contemporary female protagonist genre of book. Uh, I, I guess I would call it like contemporary fiction. These are not literary fiction books. These are really, you know, fast-paced, simple storylines about, you know, uh, boy meets girl type of uh, stories. Um, and the first one I'm going to talk about is called Very Sincerely Yours by Carrie Winfrey. Very Sincerely Yours is not part of a series. It's a sort of standalone. This character, Teddy Phillips, um, you know, she's very quickly at the very beginning of the book, she gets dumped unexpectedly by her longtime boyfriend. He's obviously quite a jerk. And then in parallel to that is this character, Everett, who is uh, who hosts a, uh, a modern Mr. Rogers television show. 
And so they meet through a series of letters and then they meet in person uh, in a, under different circumstances. And so the book is a gentle sort of gradual threading of the realization of who's who and what's what in a sort of like you've got mail kind of situation, but not exactly. Um, and this sort of space that this woman who's 30 something kind of finds herself with a lot of blanks left to be rewritten after being dumped by your boyfriend. And so it was very sweet. I felt like it was really a nice book to read uh, heading into the fall. And I think I read it pretty quickly. But you have to kind of know yourself like it's not serving a lot. It's not serving a lot of thoughts. It's not serving a lot of complicated ideas. It's not serving a lot of diversity. Uh, and so for that reason, I'm going to say, I think you have to know yourself if you um, like these kinds of stories, if you're, you know, <laughs> if you're into the idea of a character that uh, is basically a Mr. Rogers, but younger, um, then, then you might really love this book. I don't know. That's Very Sincerely Yours by Carrie Winfrey. Okay, similar but different is a book called The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. The Kiss Quotient is uh, a really great novel about a character, Stella Lane, who is, I'm going to say neurodivergent. I think actually Helen Huang has said that she has Asperger's or she's on the um, ASD spectrum. And so she decides that she needs more dating experience and she needs to be taught how to be a girlfriend and how to basically learn about being a more experienced dating person so that she can basically kind of live up to the expectations of others, which she's recognizing she's kind of had a hard time with that. And so she hires an escort named Michael Fan. Michael Fan is um, mixed Vietnamese and Swedish, and he's uh, obviously stunning. <laughs> and for some reason, um, Stella's approach just kind of attracts him at just the right moment. And so he agrees to help her for many reasons that he has not known to her. And so before long, they're, you know, having a very, you know, sort of steamy education and things get kind of complicated pretty quickly. I love this book. I thought this was much better than Very Sincerely Yours for a lot of different reasons. The biggest reason is that um, the characters really have well-developed internal lives, well-developed, self-reflective relationships with others that sort of help you understand who they are. Um, especially from Stella's perspective, I think it was really interesting to tell the story of a love story from the point of view of a woman with ASD. I think that we don't get a lot of storytelling about women with autism. And, and I'm really interested as to why that is. Um, Helen Huang herself identifies as being autistic. And I think that that also really helps the storytelling quite a lot. I think that the mixed race nature of the couple, and I think that um, there's re some really wonderful scenes that are cross-cultural, but also talk about the social pitfalls of neurodivergent folks and the ways in which they, um, you know, have to think and spend energy navigating situations. This book is really sweet. It's also really steamy. It is really well written, I think, building up to both the, you know, the ways in which the characters, you know, collide together and the ways in which the characters are driven apart. I think that there are things that people struggle with that I don't struggle with. And so I enjoyed reading this book because, listen, reading is oftentimes an opportunity to learn more about people who are different from you. And I think that, you know, it's really, it's great. It's really important to think about books being diverse. And, and I like 
to consider the ways that my reading is is diverse. And in all honesty, I think that, you know, a, 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 a book that features a character like Stella um, really, it, it adds to that diversity in a lot of different ways, too. I think that also there's no doubt that many people had a lot of opinions about this book in the context of being um, from the point of view of a, a female um, character with autism and the ways in which that allowed them to feel seen and understood um, from a romance novel. I think that that's also really important is that there's books out there that you can enjoy the genre, but you can also see yourself in. Honestly, I think actually this book is the first in a series and I look forward to reading more by Helen Huang. I thought she was really a great author. It was a great book. Okay, the next book uh, also kind of falls in this uh, romance rom- romance rom-com. These books are not qu- quite as spicy as uh, The Kiss Quotient. Um, these two books, both by Jasmine Guillory. The first is The Royal Holiday. Uh, if you had a chance to listen to episode 26, that was my episode with my friends Ali Openlander and Jillian O'Keefe. And we talked about cozy Christmas reads and we made recommendations for books that we thought would be pretty easy to get your hands on talk about the holidays, give you cozy vibes, and our uh, great company uh, beside the tree with a warm drink. And The Royal Holiday was a book recommended by Allie. Allie recommended this book by Jasmine Guillory. I put it on hold at the library. I think it came out, you know, it came within days. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I read it probably over a weekend. The Royal Holiday is about Vivian Forrest. She's with her daughter Maddie on a work trip to England. Um, Maddie is acting as a stand-in stylist for who we think is Meghan Markle, um, although they never say Meghan Markle. Um, And so she's taking the holidays um, in Sandringham, which is, I think, the royal's country, like, uh, out of London estate. And so Maddie, who is, I think, 54, not Maddie, Vivian, is 54 and she's tagging along with her daughter to sort of keep her company and while they're being housed at Sandringham in one of the cottages she runs into this man Malcolm Hudson who's worked for the queen as her private secretary um and and so they sort of meet and sparks fly and they spend more and more time together getting to know one another and you know there's a sort of like sense of time right this sense of like well, we're making our way to the holidays, we're making our way to the new year, what's going to happen to this couple once the holiday ends? You know, is this a real thing or is this just a fling? Um, There's a lot of really great things about this book that are about, you know, um, the main characters are black, they are older, 52 and 54, they both kind of acknowledge the ways they feel out of place in the context of Sandringham, in the context of you know, British formality. Um, and they both have kind of their own um, drivers and, and things that are sort of set um, with a little bit less flexibility, I guess, maybe because of age. But I, uh, I really enjoyed this. I did feel as though, and I'm going to compare this to another book by Jasmine Guillory, which is called Party of Two. I did feel as though the author was holding back a little bit. Um, from a romance standpoint, and I don't know why that would have been, except for the age of the characters. I felt like it was pretty tame as far as romance went, um, and I, I can't help but under, but but like apply that to the age of the characters. Is that you know uh, Jasmine Guillory might have been feeling a like you know writing 
<laughs> writing a makeout scene between two people in their 50s versus the way she and I know she can because I read Party of Two after this book um, versus, you know, the the sexual tension, I guess, is what I'm trying to say in the context of, uh, of younger couples. I think there was a marked difference. I'll just put it that way. So the second book I'm going to talk about, which I liked a little bit more than The Royal Holiday, was a book called Party of Two. And that came out in 2020 by Jasmine Guillory as well. This is a character, Olivia Monroe. She's just recently moved to LA. She's starting her own law firm. And she meets this like really great guy at a hotel bar. They spend the entire night flirting, but she doesn't know who he is. And eventually she finds out that he's actually a junior senator. And so she doesn't want to date him, but he kind of figures out who, he, who she is and he starts to pursue her. Now, similar to uh, Royal Holiday, Party of Two, the main character, the female character, Olivia, is black and um, Max Powell is white. So there are a couple of moments where they talk about race and they talk about privilege, but it's really not a big part of this book at all. And there's really very little internal reflection or discussion about the ways in which they're thinking about race as they fall in love. Um, However, that being said, this book was funny. This book was, you know, (laughs) really easygoing, relaxing, low stakes read. It was the perfect thing to do in between all of the holiday prep and hustle and bustle. Um, It was a great thing to read on the train back and forth from work as things get more intense with the pandemic, as things get more unknown. These are the kinds of books that are just a really nice way to relax and spend time. This did not require me to think at all. These characters just kind of falling for each other and then figuring out the way to have a happily ever after. That's all I have to say. Um, The chemistry between the two characters was amazing. I think that the writing really differed between this book and The Royal Holiday. I'm attributing that to the age of the characters. Uh, That's maybe unfair on my part, but uh, I would have to read a little bit more by Jasmine Guillory to really understand why that might have been. But uh, there was a real spark between these two characters and you were really rooting for them to end up together based on the writing. So that's Party of Two by Jasmine Guillory and The Royal Holiday, also by Jasmine Guillory. Um, Another book I'm going to talk about, again, still fiction, lots of fiction books, very quickly is a book called Blaze Island by Catherine Bush. This book, you know, was almost a probably pass from me, but I think that it's probably going to be, you know, a really good example of knowing myself. Blaze Island is a sort of like climate science fiction book. I think I had read somewhere there's this new genre that people are calling cli-fi instead of sci-fi, which is books that are about climate change, um, but in a fictional setting. And authors taking liberties on the predictions and the the modeling that has, you know, out that is out there in terms of climate change and um, and then putting characters in the context of those models. Um, this book, it takes place at the beginning of a storm and it sort of follows after the storm, um, with a few characters, Miranda, her dad, and then a series of other characters, um, in the book. I started off reading this book and then I really wanted to finish it. I really wanted to see what was going to happen. Um, the ending is tremendously abrupt. It leaves you 
wondering if something happened to your copy of the book. It made me feel as though I read it on an e-reader and I was sort of like, I think I didn't download the whole thing. Something, something happened to this book. Um, and then in kind of reading a little bit more afterwards, um, I didn't know, but Catherine Bush actually has based this book on The Tempest. And so there's sort of parallels through the whole book towards The Tempest. Now, I don't know the story of The Tempest by Shakespeare very well, but I think that this is, you know, um, an interesting uh, author device to write, you know, contemporary uh, climate change fiction in the context of, um, you know, parallels to Shakespeare. The book is really uneven. The premise is cool. And it takes place on Blaze Island, which is this very northern remote island in what I believe is Newfoundland in Canada. Um, there's some beautiful descriptions of the landscape, animals, ice, snow, wind. You really felt battered around by the elements while reading this book. I thought that the way the author describes some of the scenes and the sense of urgency, but also this uh, sort of sense of secrecy and how the climate change agenda can really affect people um, for better or for worse. There were a few um, moments where the characters were not distinct enough, but there were many of them, especially some of the lesser participants in the plot um, from a from a like village the te the Blaze Island village perspective, there were a few too many of them, and um, you know kind of random scenes where somebody's in a pickup truck picking up some other people and then talking about other people that are really inconsequential to the plot. I felt like a lot of the times I was not I didn't care <laughs> I didn't care about a side conversation about characters that are not driving the plot while people drive around in a pickup truck on this island in Newfoundland. It was just like, and there were a number of scenes like that. Um, it was very emotional. The character of Miranda is this 18-year-old who's sort of been growing up isolated on Blaze Island since around the age of 11. And there was something incredibly immature and naive about the writing. And so I thought that that was actually very well done. There were times when you really felt like shaking her. Like she, she just doesn't get some things and she also doesn't want to. You can feel the ways in which she's sort of clinging to the Santa Claus of it all. You know, she's, she's kind of like, she just wants to believe that things can go back to the way they always have been, um, until a certain point in the book when she, she sort of, things really start to pick up. I have a couple of different thoughts on this book. I think if you like the idea of climate change in science fiction and you like the idea of literary fiction using a retelling of Shakespeare's plays, then I think you probably dip into this and really like it. I would say keep some of your expectations low in terms of pacing, in terms of, um, of analysis, in terms of like leaving some things unsaid. There's a lot of telling but not showing and sometimes there's no telling and sometimes there's no showing at all and you're sort of like what am I reading right now and how does it contribute to my sense of where the where the author is trying to take me especially because the book ends so abruptly. I think you really have to know yourself and how much you like that literary fiction type of genre. It wasn't challenging to read until it ended and then I felt a little bit bamboozled by it all. <laughs> 
Okay, and that's uh, that's Blaze Island by Catherine Bush. Okay, we're making our way through. We're doing all right. I'm going to take a break from the fiction to talk about two, three nonfiction books. Two books, nonfiction books. The first is Home Cookery by Maddie Matheson. This is a book that I just kind of had on my to-be-read list and I wanted to read something different. I think this was shortly after I read The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich and I sort of was looking for something to really change the pace because the book was quite dense and it had taken me a really long time to read. And you know that feeling when you've been reading a book forever and you finally finish it but it didn't really scratch the itch but you don't know what to pick up next and I was really kind of worried about ending up in like a no man's land of YouTube videos and Instagram instead of reading. So I got this book, Home Cookery, from Maddie Matheson, and I don't know if you're a cookbook reader. You really have to know yourself. If you like reading cookbooks, this is, hands down, hilarious. This is a hilarious cookbook to read. Maddie Matheson is a Rough Around the Edges uh, chef, and he's written a couple of cookbooks. He's Canadian. He's dealt with addictions, and let's just do a quick Google of his bio. If you look at him on the cover... He sort of looks a little bit like a, a grown, a grown toddler, like the way he wears his hat. He's often wearing sunglasses. Things don't quite fit his face, um, but he has a really great like smile on his face. He's um, also an internet personality. And so he's got some YouTube and he's, you know, I actually really didn't know much about him before. His first book is called Maddie Matheson, a cookbook, and I think it's a bit of a memoir alongside the recipes. I also believe some of the recipes in that book are uh, pretty challenging and um, unusual. So this book, Maddie Matheson Homestyle Cookery, is the follow-up to that book, and it was released in 2020, uh, September of 2020. And um, I think that if you read this book... (laughs) You can expect a lot of F-bombs, a lot of uh, recipes that, you know, you might want to make, but you probably don't need to use his recipe to make them. Uh, There's also like a lot of love in this cookbook and you really read the recipes understanding just how much he cares about feeding people and he really hopes that you'll try the recipes. He says that in a number of his, you know, preambles before the recipe. The writing is just so good. I hope you you can hear the smile in my voice. This book made me happy. It made me happy because of the hilarious language. It made me happy because of the ways in which he um, talks about drug use and how he quit using drugs and alcohol. He had a heart attack at age 29. He became sober and has kind of like you know, found his way back through entertaining people through food. But there's a real, like, he's really grounded in love of family and friends and and people who eat his food. And and there's, you know, what you see is what you get. He, He really is not putting on any pretenses about who he is. Uh, and that comes through in both the recipes, but also in the way in which he writes about the recipes. If you don't like reading cookbooks, you're definitely going to pass on this. But if you do like reading cookbooks, you can find this at your local library. I guarantee it. It's Home Cookery uh, by Maddie Matheson. The next nonfiction book I read was another memoir. This book was All In by Billie Jean King. This book, I think I read two other books while I was reading this book, two other like romance novels while I was reading this book. This book is massive. I am not entirely sure what motivated me to pick up this book. I have a lot of weird ways in which I collect books to read, and I can't really completely remember how I got 
this book on my list. I don't know anything about tennis. I don't know anything about Billie Jean King. And I'm not a particular sports fan in any way. However, I got this book, I started reading it, and I just couldn't stop. I just kept reading it, kept trucking along page after page. There are times it gets a little bit bogged down in the winning, losing of it all. But the thing that you come away with is a real appreciation for what it means to be a trailblazer, what it means to start your life with no path and to just hack away moment by moment, win by win, through sheer excellence and and force of will to to blaze the trail. There's so much about Billie Jean King that I didn't know. We know, I did know about, you know, her defeat of Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes, but there's so much more than that. There's her impact on the women's movement, um, the civil rights movement, the LGBTQ plus movement. She describes a number of challenges she's hurdled, just the sheer sexism uh, uh, in tennis, uh, you know, the, the pay discrepancies, the ways in which she influenced tennis to go from amateur to pro, the, um, major peril she went through after being outed in a really like painful and, um, and, and, you know, upsetting kind of way, the ways in which she had to kind of deny her sexuality, um, in order to protect everything that she had built, to, you know, uh, for women's tennis and women's sports. Um, and then, you know, the transition of that, the transition to, you know, um, acknowledging her identity, acknowledging her partner, um, living on it openly, and how that's kind of transformed her ability to exponentially grow everything that has come from or branched out of the path that she uh, blazed for, for women's sports. I mean, she's a world-class athlete. She's no doubt an amazing leader. If there was one thing I wished there had been more about in this book is that I would have wished for more of a sense of, like, leadership from this book. More of a sense, that's, maybe that's what I would have been looking for, is more of a sense of um, being in the arena, to pull words from Brene Brown, being in the arena and a real sense of knowing what it's like to be in the middle of it all and to put it all on the line to lead. There's a lot of ways that she talks sort of adjacent to that, but there's not a lot of connections to it. And I do wish that the back half of the book had been spent a little bit more on what that meant for her after she stepped out of um, pro sports, pro tennis. The book is quite long. It's quite in detailed. I think you really have to know yourself if you like memoir. But if you are interested in (laughs) the perspective of someone who has seen a lot of change in their life, then I think you really can't go wrong with this book. I'm, you know, really amazed to think about Billie Jean King started playing tennis in the 50s. And here we are, it's 2021. And what must she think about all of this? You know, what must she think about just how far things have come and how far we think we really have to go. You know, there's a little bit of that at the end of the book, but it's really quite amazing to think that just a couple blinks away, that just how much women could be denied and just how much could have publicly be said in in the in the social in social spheres and in in like the general like media to keep women oppressed. Um, it's quite shocking, really quite shocking. That's All In by Billie Jean King.
You know, I think I had 17 books in the last book episode, which was 18, episode 18. And um, I definitely said at the end of the summer books episode that I need to be more careful about doing book episodes with less books. <laughs> so maybe I'm going to just... Um, not talk about all the books that I've read. I don't know. I need to, I need to come up with another way to, to do this. The last nonfiction book that I read was Think Again by Adam Grant. I listened to this by audiobook. I mean, honestly, I just kind of like this book. It, it was like digestible for me. It was sort of like, you know, reframing the idea of intelligence is like, if you're smart, you can think and you can learn. But there's another sort of set of skills that Adam Grant theorizes or, or sort of the central thesis of the book is that it's not just about thinking and learning, but it's about rethinking and then unlearning. And I think that this has actually become a book that was just really easy to put into practice right away. I haven't read any of Adam Grant's other books, but um, I think that generally, you know, the sense of like seeking out content that makes you feel good, seeking out content that reinforces what you think about the world instead of seeking out disagreement and then thinking thoughtfully about that disagreement um, not being so ego driven that we have to see facts, uh, see not facts. We have to see discourse as something that lifts us up rather than as, as an opportunity to learn. I think, um, that's been something that's been immediately like something I can put into practice, you know, uh, where I work, I, I, I have difficult conversations often. A book like this allows me to kind of buffer my ego a little bit and think about, you know, where I have to uh, widen my, my view and where I have to think about the pitfalls in my own assumptions and, and pave them over with what that other person is telling me and, and making sure that my beliefs are not brittle, making sure that my beliefs are, um, are, are up to the defense, but they're also flexible and I'm, I'm willing to embrace being wrong as a way to also navigate with flexibility the, the changing ways of the world. I think there's a lot of really good sort of case studies that Adam Grant uses to talk about the ways in which people um, rethink and think again. Uh, and I, I liked it. I liked it. I listened to it by audiobook. I had a number of bookmarks by the end of the book, and I've sort of translated those into my own, you know, the notes that I might take on a book at any given time. I mean, I think this is like kind of a straightforward thing. Like if you like, if you like uh, pop psychology and you've read Adam Grant's other books, you probably want to pick this up. I think if you're, you know, not really into organizational psychology or um, <laughs> books written by academic white guys, then, you know, no shade on Adam Grant. Like, I think he he's he does his best to be as as broad of a storyteller as he can, but um, you're, you're probably going to want to pass. I, you know, I'm, I'm nothing against it. It was kind of, it, maybe you see, I don't really have much of an opinion. I, I liked it. Uh, I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was fine. Would I recommend it to everybody? No. But it is also the kind of thing that I'm, I do find myself pulling out again, time and time again. Not not the physical copy of the book pulling out, but kind of re-referencing and referencing. And so sometimes that's a sneaky sign of a book that had a really, you know, it was a little more impactful than I might have anticipated on first glance. That's Think Again by Adam Grant. Okay, two more books. Uh, the, the next one is Matrix by Lauren Groff. So we're back to fiction. Lauren Groff, um, this, I, I don't even know where to start to describe this book. This book takes place in the 12th century, in like Richard the Conqueror times, I think. <laughs> and there's this uh, woman, Marie de France, 
who is cast out of the royal court by Eleanor of Aquitaine. And she's cast to an abbey, this impoverished abbey. The nuns are like starving. They're, they're beset by disease. And because of her wealth and her station in life, she's sort of given this sort of like position in the ranks of the abbey. And it just kind of takes the toll of her, not the toll, the, the story, the novel comes to life. It's just like her life and then she dies. Um, but it's very intense with you know, currents of violence, sensuality, you know, religious uh, visions, um, you know, faith, being a woman. It's, it's really hard to find words to describe this book. I really enjoyed it. It's hard to read at times in that you really realize that we're talking about a world where there is no technology whatsoever. And the force of will and vision to lead and protect a group um, where you are essentially the bottom of the bottom of the of the barrel of the of bottom of the rungs of power and the ways in which power can be had and influence can be had are, are so tenuous uh, it feels as though there's tragedy around every page turn of this book um, it's really was really really great the thing is and this has happened to me before is after I finished this book I thought wow where did she come up with this idea where did Lauren Groff come up with this idea and so I looked to podcasts to find an interview with her and I found one and I don't know what I was expecting but I there was something about this interview with Lauren Groff that felt disconnected from her readers it did not feel as though she had any sense of her readership at all. And it was a very ivory tower kind of interview. And that just really disappointed me because it felt as though what Lauren Groff was looking for was um, a way to academically bring to life the story of Marie de France in terms of medieval French, in terms of the other stories about Marie de France that exist out there, there was a real sort of sense of above it allness um, that I felt really hard to relate to her as an author. And I don't know why, but it left me with a bad taste in my mouth. It, here's the thing. It, it felt as though she feels like she's smarter than her readers. That's it. There we go. I got my finger on it. And so I just... um. I just felt kind of like bummed by that. Like I felt like this is not a person I would want to have a coffee or tea with. Uh, it really felt as though the interview was a conversation between people who are just sort of trying to like smarty pants each other out of the room. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and listen, like for me, that's the sense of like, I hope I never have an interview where it sounds like that. So, so there we go. That's Matrix by Lauren Groff. I love the book. I think you you may love the book too, um, but I, I, there was just something about it afterwards that I just thought like, I don't know, you got to know yourself. And, and I guess authors and the way authors perceive their readers is really important to me. Okay, the last book in the middle of the pack, we're coming on the home stretch here, is a book called The Accidental Apprentice by um, Amanda Foodie. This was a children's novel that I picked up uh, on the recommendation of a book reading podcast called Currently Reading. I love that podcast. I love the recommendations that come out of that podcast. 
This book is about Barclay Thorne. Barclay Thorne is a mushroom farmer apprentice. He lives in a uh, on the edges of a town called Dulshire, and unfortunately, he uh, through a series of events afternoon breaks the town's most sacred rule, which is to never ever stray into the woods. And there are magical beasts that live in the woods. Um, Dulshire was at one time attacked by one of these magical beasts, and Barclay's parents uh, died in that attack. And so he has built up his life to follow the rules at every possible turn so as to always um, live up to the potential that he believes his parents felt, you know, was there for him. But being an orphan and having to kind of live off of the goodwill of the mushroom farmer that he's apprenticing with and the townspeople who sort of don't really, you know, uh, welcome him or take care of him or or love him, um, you know, he sort of feels like if he could just follow the rules more properly, he, he would have an easier time of it. He would make his parents proud. He would be accepted by the town. However, um, he, he, he strays into the woods and, and, you know, events unfold. This was a really great pre-Christmas read. It's, uh, it's definitely a kid's book. I think it's sort of, somebody on Goodreads called it Pokemon meets Harry Potter. I think that that's a really great, very lovable description of this book. The characters, you're rooting for Barclay, you're also rooting for some other characters in the book. Um, there were a lot of people, there were a lot of twists in this book. There were also like some adults, you know, sometimes when you read these, these middle reader books, I would say it's definitely for like a 12 to 13 year old reader. Um, the adults are sort of like, ugh, and <laughs> that's true in this book. Um, there's a lot of world building that was really wonderful. And I think that, um, you know, if my kids were only just a little bit older, I would, I would recommend this book for them to them for sure. And maybe we'll see if we can get the audiobook. I think William, my son, he's eight, he would probably enjoy the audiobook, but the reading is probably a little bit too advanced for him. Um, still, I think that, you know, there's always this great sense of reading about kids who are trying to be normal and just can't be, you know, that's always a very relatable storyline. I don't know if it matters who you are. It's like, we all remember being 11 or 12 and just being like, oh gosh, if I could just figure out the magic, you know, formula to fit in, I would follow it forever. And then also desperately wanting to be special and important in the world. And, and, and I think for Barclay, he kind of he kind of follows the path of both of those desires, um, and and I think this is a great book. This is the first in in what I hope is a series, long series of books. The book definitely ends on a slight bit of a cliffhanger, and I can actually see as well a lot of potential as the characters grow older. I think Barclay is somewhere between eleven and twelve, although it doesn't really come out very much in the book. And this is the first book in what I assume will be a series of books. I've already placed a hold for the second book at my library, but it's not going to be released until 2022. So I look forward to that. This is a really great book. I, I honestly like I don't have much to complain about it. I think if you don't like kids literature, if you didn't like Harry Potter, you got to know yourself, then I wouldn't don't bother with this book. But if you do, if you like books like the Percy Jackson series, if you like books like Hunger Games, if you like books like um, Harry Potter, pick up Wilder Lore. I think you'll find something delightful inside of it and it will be a great reading experience for you for sure. All right, we're coming up on the last three books and these three books are going to be my medium lady must reads. I'm going to recommend that you read these books. Um, <laughs> the first one is I'm going to recommend you read these books this book specifically within the next week. So whenever you listen to this, 
It's December 27th today. I'm hoping to release this episode on the 29th. I would recommend you read this book before, before, before January 15th. Before you put, before you take your Christmas tree down, you should read this book. And if you've already taken your Christmas tree down, then you should pass. But I loved this book and it's The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox. So The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox is a book that was also in the Cozy Christmas Reads episode. And it was Jillian's recommendation. And actually, this is just like such a great medium lady full circle moment for me, which is that Jillian recommended it on the podcast. Allie bought it and read it. And then Allie mailed her copy to me, which arrived right before Christmas and meant that I could dive into it on Christmas Eve. (laughs) This is probably hitting the real top notes of my top three in part because of the book itself is great. But the second part of that is also really related to uh, context, timing, circumstance. It was a cozy Christmas read through and through. And um, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just love a book because from now on, whenever I think about the holiday swap, whenever I think about Christmas, I'm going to remember this experience of talking about the book receiving the book and reading the book uh, all around the holidays. The Holiday Swap is about twin sisters, Charlie and Cass, and through um, a series of events, I guess at the beginning, this is not too much of a spoiler, but it's a tiny bit of a spoiler, Charlie, who works on the set of a holiday baking show, uh, she's, she's, you know, an up-and-coming chef slash, you know, a television star, and she's on this show with... um, a co-star and a producer and all kinds of, you know, high pressured um, issues and events. And she gets in an accident where she gets a concussion and the concussion affects her ability to smell and to taste. And so she starts to panic because she feels the sense of importance on her performance uh, on the show. So she switches places with her identical twin, Cass, and her Cass is ru- her sister Cass is running the family's bakery. Uh, Cass has her own issues that are going on and Cass is kind of eager for an escape from her life in their small town. So Charlie and Cass switch. And basically what follows is sort of identity swap, romantic comedy. Um, Cass in LA falls in love with somebody. Charlie in, uh, I want to call it Stars Hollow, but it's not called Stars Hollow. It's, uh, oh, I can't tell from the Goodreads. It's called like Starlight Village or something. Very Christmassy. Anyway, Cass falls in love in LA. Charlie falls in love in their village. They're both still pretending to be the other one. And the story sort of unfolds. The great thing about this book is you get this sort of countdown to Christmas. You get the sense of baking. You get the sense of, you know, blunders and mistakes that people make. Um, And, you know, you get two romances for the price of one, I guess. This uh, author, Maggie Knox, is a combination of two other romance writers uh, named Karma Brown, and the second author's name is Marissa Stapp. And so the two of them combined together to write this book. They each took turns writing The Sisters, and I just thought it was really great. You know, it was fun to kind of read about behind the scenes of a baking show. It's kind of like The Great British Bake Off, but, you know, different. And then the behind the scenes of running your own small sort of family bakery business in a small town. There's, you know, cute dogs. There's hilarious uh, assistants. There's, you know, blunders. And there's lots of sparks flying between the characters. You're probably going to have yourself reading this book and casting them one way or another and enjoying this book. 
honestly, again, it's sort of the same low stakes as Very Sincerely Yours, but I found the writing to be better, the pace of the plot to be uh, much more enjoyable, the details both uh, around, you know, the environment, the senses, the conversations. The stakes feel a little bit different. They feel a little bit, they feel, the stakes feel a little bit higher because of Charlie's concussion. She has some very real and concerning things that as a reader, you're sort of like, is she okay? Like, I don't think she's okay. Um, <laughs> and that got me really kind of invested. Of course, with any kind of identity swap storyline, uh, you're going to have a lot of moments where you're kind of like, if you just told the truth, you would probably you know, get get out of this. This probably wouldn't be as uncomfortable and stressful as you're making it. Especially a lot of the scenes in the hometown. Like the LA stuff, you're kind of like, well, she has to lie because it's her career. But it seems very reasonable for the other twin to be like, oh yeah, my sister had to leave town unexpectedly and I'm running the bakery now. Like, <laughs> because, bleh, you know, and there's actually like a very reasonable premise for the other twin to leave town. I just couldn't understand why she wouldn't tell the truth because it doesn't seem like it would get back to the show in LA that she maybe it would I don't know maybe actually maybe that's why uh, they the authors I think could have done just even a couple of lines about why the twin in the village couldn't tell the truth and I think it would have just really sealed the deal for me but I love this book I will recommend you read it um I really enjoyed it I enjoyed the male characters too and uh it's got pretty much everything. It's got pretty much everything you would want. I would imagine this is the book version of watching a Hallmark movie, except it's a book. It lasted longer. I could bring it by the, you know, I could bring it wherever I wanted to bring it. And that was a really, it was a really just a great experience. I loved it. That's The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox. Okay. Coming up on my last two books, the next book is called Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Mide. This is a young adult fiction book, and I think this book is more than the eyes can see. This book sort of reads as a, it's, it takes place in a place called Nivea's Private Academy, and there's this anonymous texter named Aces who is bringing students' secrets to light. And there's two characters, Devin, as well as... Chiamaka and the two of them are on opposite ends of the social spectrum on in their school but they're brought together because they seem to really becoming the target of this uh, anonymous texter aces so it's a very kind of gossip girl type of situation the the real ways in which this is a much richer story is that both of the characters are black and the ways in which they spend their time in this private school where really there are very few if any other uh, students of color. And so if someone is out to get them and the stakes actually kind of start to really ratchet up in a way that I actually started to feel quite anxious while reading this book and I took a brief break from it. Um, there was a sense of really like uh, gaslighting and bait and switching and the ways in which the students don't receive help from the adults around them felt very toxic and really got me kind of feel like invested and upset. And it was honestly, that sounds like a bad reading experience, but it was really, really good. I couldn't put the book down, but then I did, I did kind of take, it was, it's really heart racing. It's a bit of a thriller. This book is called Young Adult. I think it's probably like the older end of Young Adult. 
It explores being black. It explores being queer. It explores, you know, these really sinister elements of white supremacy. The really, uh, the ways in which we collude together to allow racism to thrive. I, I just thought this book was, uh, you know, one of, one of the comments I read on Goodreads was like, it's Get Out meets Gossip Girl. But there's also a queer uh, storyline through it. And, and the bar... I think is just like so high. This book is really, really great. This really fast paced, dark academia, really, really good, really good, really good. I mean, just really, really good. Have I said really good enough? I think this book is also because it's young adult fiction. It's it's very accessible reading, very similar to Angie Thomas's writing. Uh, she wrote um, The Hate You Give um, on the come up. Um, and, and I think that... Uh, this book in a lot of ways actually is darker because of the thriller nature of it. There, There's a real threat of violence throughout the book, especially the back half, that makes you feel a little bit worried about um, where where these two characters are going to be threatened and, and what they're going to get themselves into. But then that's also balanced out by some really hilarious conversations between the main characters and the ways in which the characters are developed and really strong that allows for awesome dialogue and awesome decision making. And I I just really love this book. I think, I think especially if you like The Hate You Give, you should read this book, Ace of Spades. It's by Farida Abike Iyamide. Okay, and that's my that's really leading us up to my last book. And this book, I really think you must read it, but you're gonna know why, and that's Black Girls Must Die Exhausted by Jane Allen. I had the opportunity to receive this book, an advanced uh, reader copy of this book from HarperCollins, and I had the chance to interview Jane Allen herself on the podcast. You're gonna wanna look back. That's going to be episode, I believe it's episode 22. What I haven't said already about the book, I'm not sure. I think I've been raving about this book since the moment I finished it in September of this year. You know, this book was an experience for me too. I, I heard from Jane Allen's publicist. She wanted to know if I wanted to read the book. She sent me the copy. Uh, she helped me get connected with Jane in order to interview her and there was a brief moment it looked like it might not happen and then it did and so again I think this is another kind of medium lady talks full circle moment for me really you know thrilled to have the opportunity to connect with an author and interview an author looking forward to more opportunities to do that in 2022 but the book itself is incandescent this book in comparison to the Jasmine Guillory books, which have black female protagonists, the character of Tabitha Walker is just doing a different kind of work. She is really moving through the plot line with a real internal sense of struggle, reflection on blackness, on what it means to be black to yourself and what it means to be black to other people. And the ways in which you kind of have this coming of adult experience in your 30s and you kind of define the next act of your life uh, as, as an adult as a full-fledged adult and as a full-fledged adult black woman in contemporary society. There's a lot of things about this book that include a love interest. They include hilarious conversations with friends. They include the career conversation. They include relationships with older women. They include relationships with parents and family. All of these things you can find in a lot of the books that I talked about. You can find them in The Kiss Quotient. You can find those elements in Royal Holiday. You can find those elements in Very Sincerely Yours. But they are not going to come with the depth and the work that the character is doing and 
exploring with you as a reader. You know, and Jane Allen, like the thing about Jane is that my complaint about Lauren jo- uh, Groff before about her sort of thinking she's a little bit better than her readers. And I, my apologies, I don't know Lauren Groff at all, but that's just really just the vibe that I got. In this context, Jane Allen loves her readers. And that comes through in being a self-published author that translates to contemporary publishing. You can really tell from the moment you start reading this book that that Jane Allen cares about her characters, but she also cares about you as a reader. She wants you to get something out of reading this book. And you will. You really will. Uh, I... I if you want to hear me rave more about this book, I'm happy to, but I think that my best recommendation is to please go back to that episode, Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. The interview with Jane, you'll learn more about Jane, you'll fall in love with her the way that I did, and you will, uh, if you haven't had a chance to pick up the book yet, I'm sure you will seek it out. That is Black Girls Must Die Exhausted by Jane Allen. The follow-up to the book, the sequel, is coming out in February, and it's Black Girls Must Be Magic. And if you didn't get goosebumps from that title, then... Uh, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. I'm so excited to read the follow-up book. I can't I can't wait. Um, there's not a lot of books that I would reread in my life. Black Girls Must Die Exhausted is one that I absolutely will. I've lent it out, but I know who I've lent it out to, and I'm going to be asking for it back. So <laughs> and I don't do that with most of my books. Oh, oh my gosh. That's it. Those are the 17 books that I read in fall and early winter of 2021. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you so much for loving books as much as I do and for allowing me the airspace to talk through them. I hope you can probably hear as I make my way through the episode, the ups and downs. It's it's uh, it's fun and it's sometimes harder than it looks to talk about these books. I, I do have to kind of think about a new way in 2022 to approach my book reviews. I don't want to remove book reviews from the podcast, but I do want to think about ways in which I can make it easier for myself to capture what I'm reading and to share with you what I'm reading. I'm thinking about doing that in a couple of different ways, either short book bonus episodes that aren't really about the general cadence of the podcast, and I would just drop those in every time I've read five or six books and just do a quick five book review um, and not make any recommendations at all, but maybe go to maybe like a five star kind of format like Goodreads. Or I've been thinking about, because the podcast is currently running on a bi-weekly schedule, to put the put the book reviews at the end of the of a bi-weekly episode to say, here's the two books that I've read, been reading over the last week, um, and to share them that way. So if you have thoughts and opinions on those uh, ideas, I'd love to hear from you over on Instagram. I can be found at medium.lady over there. In the meantime, I'm going to sign off for now. I wish you the happiest of new years, the safest of new years. I wish you the sense of exploration, experimentation, joy in finding oneself, the sense of groundedness that can come from setting the boundaries on who you are as a person and from stepping into the place that was always meant for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Erin. This has been Medium Lady Talks, our last episode of 2021, and I will see you again soon. Bye. Did you pick so many boxes? This is too many boxes.